Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg as always, and today we've got a couple of stories. Um, and and if you're hearing this earlier than normal, that's not a fluke. Um, we uh, I actually have to work on Tuesday, so I'm pushing this out on Monday. But I'm not sure how long it takes to upload, and if I'm going to get uploaded, I'm helping a friend out. Um, uh, who needs uh, a ride to the hospital. So I had to uh, switch my work days to take care of, uh, of all the business. Uh, so with that being said, we're just going to dive right in. Let's talk about crossplay. <laughs> so uh, we've talked about it before, and we had talked about how Sony uh, was not playing nice with the others, if you just want to put it simply. You know, it was basically that Sony was trying to say that they wanted the experience best on PlayStation and so they weren't allowing crossplay. Um, really, what it came down to, and we talked about this at length before, was that it was it was a, it was an equation. You know, it was an economical equation. You know, if if they're leading in console sales, and you allow other people to play another system with your with the people on your system, that might prevent them from buying your system. So, like for instance, if if a bunch of your users have PS4s, and then a friend knows he can just buy an Xbox and still play with his friends on PS4, that might prevent that person from getting a PS4. As opposed to the way it was, where, you know, if you wanted to play with your friends, you had to get the same system. And at the time, I said the same thing I'm saying now. Like, I understand why they're doing it. I don't like it, but I understand it. It's a financial decision. Well, uh, and, and it's not consumer friendly, but it's it's smart uh, from a financial standpoint. And like I said, they have people that figure out these sort of equations. They, they factor how much money is lost by how much money is gained and all these sort of things. Well, it seems as though the tide has turned. So now, uh, releasing a statement on the Sony blog post, uh, Sony said, quote, Following a comprehensive evaluation process, SIE has identified a path towards supporting cross-platform features for select third-party content. We recognize that PS4 players have been eagerly awaiting an update, and we appreciate the community's continued patience as we have navigated through the issue to find a solution. So, And, and that path began that day because they had an open beta for Fortnite that had PS4 people going up against Xbox One, Switch, PC, Mac, and mobile. So, which PS4 could do all those before except for Switch and Xbox One. So, this is the first time that everyone's been brought together. And so, it kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like, we, you know, they had said over the course of the last three or four months, every few weeks a new article would come up where it was, Sony still says that cross-play is not happening, and, and uh, you'd have some article trying to, like, dredge it back up. And... Uh, and, and rightfully so, it seems to be a, a hot button topic, you know, especially the part where once you registered your Fortnite account to your PlayStation, you were unable to access those items on your other consoles. Now, that was especially egregious. I mean, that, that was there was no explanation for that. Like that never should have occurred. Um, but that was a lot worse than just saying, well, you can't play with your friends on Xbox. This was literally saying, like, I, I, I played the game for 500 hours on PS4. I want to log into my Epic account on my Switch. And it's like, oh, you can't access your other stuff. You have to make a whole new one. And that was crazy. So thankfully, everything has been essentially fixed here. Uh, and, and Again, it all comes down to the the situation. Obviously, the negative PR was hurting them, um, and if they really saw maybe a decline in you know what public opinion polls or decline in actual sales, which I don't think so, because if you've trying to look around, there are not PS4s uh, or PS4 Pros in stock like anywhere. It's getting it's it's crazy. Um, used ones at the store, we haven't been getting used ones hardly at all um, because so many people are are so strong on the system right now. 
but um so th but they've changed it and so that's fantastic so the first we have to say thank you sony for finally like realizing that this is something but this is also to me kind of the future like this is how to me it always should be put your best foot forward you know if you want people to buy a ps4 keep doing what you're doing if you have the best exclusives you have you know faster working hardware and you have more convenient menus and marketplace that will cause you to be a system leader you don't need to do like these little things to, to these little tricks or whatever to like lock people out so good on them for doing the right thing not that they did it because it was the right thing you know like i said let's get real this was a business decision that they made so looking past all that though so the first game obviously is fortnite and you could tell that that was definitely the driving force because this had been a policy forever but once fortnite came out on switch it really kind of pushed forward and then you had the microsoft and nintendo announcement of minecraft being back and forth so those two things together really just painted sony in a negative light and obviously going into a new console generation which is something that is coming up pretty soon I mean, I'd say 2020 realistically for new consoles. So if we say 2020 for new consoles, then, you know, this is something that they don't want to start that generation on the wrong foot. They don't want to start slipping and then start a new generation on the slide. They want to end this generation and start the next generation on a high note. So like I said, it all started with Fortnite. They did an open beta, you know, like I said, to, to test things out. Um, you know, I don't know if that's really what it was. Uh, I know there was another quote here. Um, but anyway, so then we had some really cool updates, though. So uh, just yesterday, um, Psyonix came out, and they're the, the developer of Rocket League. So obviously one of the most played multiplayer games out there. It's huge, makes a ton of money. And uh, they were one of the ones that uh, had, like, accidentally activated um, <laughs> activated crossplay for a very short amount of time. Um, so uh, here, uh, Psyonix CEO Dave Hangwood... <laughs> He took to Reddit to provide a second update. <laughs> it reads as follows. To all the fans of Rocket League, our loyal players, our community, our friends, and to the gaming community at large, let's talk about cross-platform play. Cross-play across all consoles is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. It has been my passion since the inception of Rocket League, and I have constantly encouraged my team that we not only have the opportunity, but the obligation to be pioneers in bringing gamers together regardless of platform. Games may come and go, but it is not often that you have the ability to be part of a real step forward in online gaming. We built Rocket League to be a cross-platform game from the very beginning. It has been a psionics mandate that our technology, processes, and policies must always comply with this effort, and we have worked tirelessly to ensure it. We hoped that other developers would join us on this effort, and they did. We hoped that gamers would cry out for more, and they did. Of course, cross-platform play is not something psionics and Rocket League can do on its own. It takes the substantial cooperation and coordination of many partners, most notably the platform holders themselves. It is with the greatest joy that I can now acknowledge that all the major consoles are making progress towards a truly all-platform cross-platform play experience i want everyone to understand just how much of a priority this is for us and always has been for our team there are still many factors some of which take time that means we have to do some we have to have some patience i am excited beyond words and i wanted to make sure that our players know where we stand i can't wait to see our vision for a truly unified rocket league community finally realized uh end quote so that was the CEO of Psionics, Dave Hangwood, and uh, basically providing an update on Reddit because all the news coming out over the last couple of days about Sony enabling crossplay, and so uh, that's 
fantastic. Um, and so I went on to see that there were other companies kind of saying the same thing. So one of the big ones to pop out as well has been Activision. So uh, and the, the headline here is Activision appears to be on board with crossplay now that PlayStation has started their PS4 Fortnite beta. So as you're kind of flipping through here, um, I want to say it was... Um, so uh, one negative though, is that it seems like Bethesda is still saying that fallout 76 will be exclusive to each console. There will be no cross play. So obviously that might be something different from what Cyanix was just talking about, which was that they built the ground up from scratch to do that. Clearly, if they can't, um, do that with fallout 76, then it might be because they weren't prepared for it like they just never planned ahead for it uh, however um activision has a far bigger investment in games that are built on massive multiplayer communities so you have this so call of duty black ops 4 overwatch and destiny 2 are all hugely reliant on having a thriving online community and if they were able to converge that pool of players into one massive group it could be vital um so this is basically um they're talking about how not only is it important for the fans to be able to play with their friends, but as you have a game that starts dwindling in its population, now you have now you have a way to keep the game going longer. Because, like, say on Xbox, if you like on 360, say the Call of Duty games or whatever, after so many years they start to dwindle their population. So eventually, the decision, financial decision, has to be made whether you're going to kill the servers or not. And so once they don't need to kill the servers. Because uh, the more people that are playing on them, the more chance they have of staying alive, and uh, and, and yeah, so it's good. Uh, I'm very I'm very glad that this decision was made. This was this was one of those like I understood it. Like I said, I understood it from a business standpoint. Never liked it, but I understood it. And sometimes when we're, we're we have to take passion out of everything when we're thinking about stories and not saying you can't have an opinion, but sometimes you have to just take a step back and look and say it just it wasn't in the cards now. I don't know how long it took them to organize something like this, but as soon as the the beta went live, they had uh, instructions on how to make sure that you could like convert your account or something like that, or uh, with Epic to get your Fortnite stuff like all figured out. So it, to me, they have to have been working on this for at least a few months. So when all that, it's almost like when the first hubbub started, they must have started looking into it. And it just takes time, you know. And and unfortunately, you have to test things internally. You have to make you know, if you had previous contracts in place, which things like I want to say Sony had something in place contractually with Epic or something or, or they wanted to. Um, now, my only concern with this is and I don't have any proof to back this up. This is just my concern. If this were to be true is I'm I'm, I'm hoping and I'm worried that Sony's not, you know, I, I don't want Sony to have any sort of caveat with this. Like, I don't want to be like, hey, we'll enable crossplay on your platform if you give us X or why I, even if it's a something as an exclusive to your next game or something like that i don't want this to be held hostage so i and i don't know that they have i'm just saying i don't want to i would think that the very vocal team at psionics and very vocal todd howard at bethesda they've been critics of sony's crossplay stance in the past so i would be very surprised if they didn't come out and say you know hold on this isn't all you know strawberries and rainbows like we need to like they're trying to hold us hostage they're trying to get more out of us by allowing this which would be very sleazy and I, I don't think they'll do that and i hope they don't and i don't think they will um but this brought up an interesting side thought and this might be this might be the part of the video where everyone's on board and everyone's loving it and then they go wait what did you just say and then i get a thumbs down and i get a negative comment but it this this 
brought me to an interesting thought process, and I want to share that with you all. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying anyone else is wrong. I'm just saying this is what came to me as I, as I went through this. So oftentimes, if there's something that we don't care about, and there seems to be some sort of cause, right? So like, for instance, <laughs> you have a lot of people don't like Star Wars The Last Jedi. I personally thought it was okay. I thought it was maybe a 5 or 6 out of 10. I have not watched it again. I probably won't. Uh, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it so much, though, that I had to vent about it on the internet and stuff, right? I just, I thought it was not good enough or bad enough to make a stink about it either way. I just thought it was very, eh. okay? So that's my opinion on Star Wars. Um... Which every time I talk about it, I seem to think worse and worse of it. But anyway, so the reason I brought that up, though, is because when it is something that you care, like like there was a petition by fans months ago to do a re-edited or re-cut version of The Last Jedi. And it was, here's why this movie sucked and here's all this stuff. And they have this long laundry list of stuff. And the internet collectively, the, the internet, the Twitter sphere, everything basically took all these complaints and acted like they were just childish man babies who don't like women and stuff like that. And they tried to just throw it away as, as that. Right. And, and a lot of it was, a lot of it was people just complaining. Like I said, if I don't like a movie, I just don't watch it. I don't harass the actors and actresses. I just don't watch it. And people were doing that as horrible as that sounds. Um, however, this, like I said, it brings me back to one point, which is when it's something we do believe in, you have to fight for what you believe in to get things changed. So now for the most part, everybody who complained about crossplay is getting kind of like this pat on the shoulder like, "Hey, you you did good thing by complaining. You voted with your wallet. You you petitioned them and they changed it based on outcry," which I believe to be true. Um but isn't that exactly what the people with last Jedi are essentially doing too? Like and I'm not saying that they're they're both valid arguments. I mean, I think you can make an argument that no one's going to rewrite and redo a whole movie. Like, that doesn't make sense. You know, no one's going to do that. But you're taking something you don't like, and you're petitioning and trying to get it changed. Now, again, the method is important, too. If your method of trying to get it changed is harassing the actors and actresses, har harassing the director, calling people terrible things, like, that's... Okay, your, your argument's mute at that point. Moot at that point. But... Um, the the crossplay thing was kind of the same thing. Like there was this huge uproar. People were complaining. People were saying that Sony sucks. I'll boycott all Sony products, blah, blah. And, you know, they were tweeting nasty things at Sony. So how, you know, like I said, the, the thought that came to my head was how is this different? And it kind of feels the same, except that more people seem to be on, like everyone collectively came together for their hatred of crossplay limitations, as opposed to everyone came together for their love of Star Wars and were willing to defend it. So I don't know, just food for thought. I found it interesting. Like I said, I could see people liking this whole video and then they get to that part and they're like, oh man, this guy's stupid and that's fine. But it's just something to think about. Like, just think about that when, when you don't care about something, but someone else is fighting for it, that you one day will have something that you're fighting for that's important and they may not care about it, but you'd still want them to support you and to at least listen to what you're trying to say and, and not just toss it aside like it's unimportant. And so the next thing we wanted to talk about today um, is so sad. So um, Mari Car uh, was sued recently by Nintendo again. They were sued in the past about two years ago. They were sued over the name. They lost that lawsuit. Nintendo lost that lawsuit. 
and just recently, um, they uh, they were sued again, and I want to get the specifics here. But basically, uh, Nintendo won this lawsuit. So um, now this headline's a little different from what I was reading, but it says Nintendo wins lawsuit against Tokyo's Mario Kart Tour Company. Patrons must ditch the Mario cosplay company paying Nintendo $89,000. Now, originally I had heard that it was like a $10 million lawsuit. So let me kind of uh, flip through here. Um, maybe it was 10, nah, I don't know, it's so weird. Maybe it was 10 million yen, is that what? Uh, anyway, Mario Kart, the Mario Kart themed go-kart tour of Tokyo got blue shelled by a court ordering it to stop dressing riders in Nintendo costumes. Uh, Mario Kart has to fork over 10 million yen, thank you. Okay, so the original headline would said sued for 10 million uh, was not dollars, it was yen. Okay. Which sued the company known as Mari Mobility Development in February of 2017. Mari Car was still running the following spring when Hugh Jackman spied a tour waiting at a traffic signal. That doesn't help when a huge movie star <laughs> sees your tour going by. Um, so Kotaku noted, did the translation that, uh, it's equivalent to about $89,000. Uh, the obvious intellectual property violation is probably going to be enough to put an end to Mari Car's main attraction. The cart business itself isn't the problem. It's the branding and dressing up clientele in Mario themed costumes. So I've actually personally done Mari Car. So I'm going to get through this article and then I want to address some of these things. Um, in a statement about the legal victory, Nintendo said, quote, to continue to take necessary measures against infringement of an intellectual property, including our brand, um, a statement from Mario Kart Mobility said it was reviewing the decision and would respond later. So we're still waiting to hear from the Mario Kart company. Um, and it just says that Mario Kart's English language homepage is still up. So a couple things I want to I want to address here. So first, just the, the story laid out. I participated in Mario Kart when I was in Tokyo a year ago last April. So about a year and a half ago, I partook in Mario Kart and I'm just going to say hands down, it was the most amazing thing I did in Japan. It was the most fun we had. It was just awesome. And we did a lot of sightseeing, we did a lot of things. That tour though, for me, was just incredible. And it was, and obviously I'm, I'm not counting my proposing to my wife. Obviously that's the coolest, most important, most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. Not counting that, <laughs> Mari Car was an unbelievable experience. It was awesome. So a couple things, though. Um, first of all, I see a lot of people who haven't done it really talking out of their ass when it talks about what this experience was like. So one, you have people um, specifically in the comment section. Now, obviously, I, it's a website. Okay, comment sections are fine. But here... Um, the cart business is a problem. Nobody is required to have a license or any experience driving in Japan. That is not true. You do have to have an international driver's license. Now, I will be the first to admit, it is not that difficult to get an international driver's license. Essentially, they convert your driver's license to international, and that's all you need to be street legal in Japan. Um, there are more differences to the traffic laws than, quote, driving on the other side of the road. I would agree with that, but you also have a complete tour guide. So we had about 10, 12 people in our group. You had a guy in the front and a guy in the back. Um, they purposely were like keeping us together and having us obey all the traffic signs. Never did I ever feel like we were impeding traffic, and we certainly weren't blowing through intersections and causing accidents. Like That's completely overblown. Um, uh, these tours are conducted on the actual streets of Tokyo in actual traffic. That's true. With half-drunk tourists driving go-karts, that's absolutely not true, and blowing lights and nearly causing accidents constantly. 
hopefully this will put a stop to them entirely. They need to die. This this uh, is not my favorite person right now because there's just a lot of incorrect information. Um, this is uh, it's not half drunk tourists. Uh, it's not full drunk tourists. It's not partially drunk tourists. I mean, when you go on these tours, that is part of the process. You're signing waivers. You're talking to people like they talk to you. They make sure you're not inebriated. They understand what it's like. Now, I will be the first to say it's not the safest thing I ever felt I was doing. So, for instance, I would say in a go-kart, like in a regular car, you feel like you're going 60. In a go-kart, you you feel like you're going 60 and you're probably going like 30. I, there was a part where I felt I was going like 30 or 35 miles an hour. Like, no seatbelt, no helmet. <laughs> and yes, you are on the streets of Tokyo. But there was never a point where I felt like we were, like I said, where we were impeding traffic. There was never a point where we were, like they even have specific rules. You'll notice in the picture here that the carts are side by side. When you're driving, they have you drive single file. But when you park, you park side by side so that you don't take up as many parking spaces to interfere with the normal flow of traffic. So they've thought about things like this, right? And and so, again, I'm not saying it's probably not annoying to the everyday um commuters in Tokyo it probably is and they probably see this and they're like ugh this you know stupid tourists and stuff but who doesn't have something in their city where you get annoyed by stupid tourists so like i i live in green bay we have lambo field if you're a football fan the packer stadiums you know a couple miles away and yes you're going somewhere and you see packer fans from all over the country coming in and like being annoying but that's they're there to celebrate something who cares like like why do you let that bug get up your butt and so you see that a lot or you see um you know these like um in arizona a friend of mine nate was talking about how there was like a a a drink and biking tour or something so you're on like a 12 person pedal bike and you stop at a bar you get out you go to drink you get back on you can drink while you're on it and you're just pedaling you don't steer something i don't that doesn't sound very safe either but again it's a touristy thing um and there's so many other touristy spots like door county and all this other stuff so uh, that's what kind of bothers me about the comments is that it seems to be that that no one who's actually experienced this is talking about it. My experience was completely positive. Again, not saying that it wasn't 100% foolproof. Like there is absolutely a chance where accidents can happen. And so if you want to say, you know, they shouldn't be doing it out of complete safety for the customer, I guess that's fine. But the customer signing up for it, that's like saying, well, you shouldn't go bungee jumping. You shouldn't go hang gliding. You know, it's Okay, now to be fair, they're also talking about the safety of the other drivers on the road. But I will tell you that my experience when we were driving through Tokyo, when we stopped at an intersection, people would take pictures of you. And and like I don't know if they were tourists in Tokyo from another part of Japan, we don't know. But they would like we would we would honk. Um we were stopped at one part and my my wife Jen, she was dressed up as Minnie Mouse, that was her costume. Uh and this this the most adorable little Japanese girl just started screaming, like started screaming up mini mini. And then she went over and gave Jenny a hug. It was like the cutest thing ever. So it's not like everyone in Tokyo slash Japan slash Asia hates you for doing this. Okay. It's not like people are yelling at you. It, it wasn't like that, you know? And now am I going to be the first to say that there are probably obnoxious people who have done this? Yes, probably. And it's probably really, really annoying. Um, when you have somebody who is stupid and belligerent, but that's people, right? So the majority of people aren't like that. I tend to believe. So anyway, I just, I, I wanted to squash some of that stuff. And I also wanted to squash this idea that they dress you up in Mario outfits. So what happens is we went to the, we went to the play, uh, the shop. They have a couple different shops around Tokyo. We went to the one in, um, uh, Oh my God, I can't remember the name of it. Um, the Otaku District. So um, we, we went um, Akihabara. So we went to Akiba and 
when we walk, when you walk in there, they've got a closet full of costumes. There was like, like, um, like I said, my wife was Minnie Mouse. They had an Iron Man mask, a Batman mask, which to be fair, they were like little plastic masks. They have little eye slits. I'm like, I don't want to make this any more safe than it already is. <laughs> but it was, you know, I didn't have to wear it, you know, and I ended up putting on like a Mario hoodie or something, but you don't have to wear those. You just, you just wear your normal clothes. Um, if you look at the carts here in the picture, I mean, I guess you could argue that they look like Mario Kart, Mario carts, but I mean, they look like go-karts, man. I mean, I don't know. It's not like Mario Kart invented the go-kart, you know? And, and so little things like that, that they act like that. Now, to be fair, like I said, mostly what they have are Mario costumes. And it was a gimmick that they should have ditched a long time ago. I don't think it would have been a big deal if you'd had a bunch of costumes that people could dress up in. Um, but yes, they mostly had Mario costumes. And this brave soul here in the Toad costume is just fantastic. Um, so anyway, when you go there though, there's a closet full of costumes. You pick whatever you want and you don't have to pick anything. So you don't have to do that. Um, when I went, we went for a two, it was about two and a half hour tour and it was like $60 and it was incredible. Like it was, it was so incredible. And I wish that people could experience it because it was so much fun. And it was something that you really couldn't do in another big city. You couldn't do it in Chicago or New York. You probably get killed doing it in New York because the way people drive there. But it was a fantastic experience. Um, however, though, with that all being said, they should have ditched the Mario gimmick a long time ago. Like, I think to get started until they got too big, you know, you could the Mario car name, I think, is OK. You know, they, they you know, it's different enough. Having the go karts is fine. But the Nintendo costumes is probably one thing that just was too much to ignore. And so now you can just have it where you just do guided tours of because I, I I do tend to believe that this would still be an amazing experience without the Nintendo gimmick, you know, but it is something that got a lot of people's attention. And so hopefully they'll be able to continue to operate. I mean, they have to pay about $90,000, which for any company, I mean, I'll be honest, I would have a hard time trying to figure out how to pay $90,000 if I got sued tomorrow. Um, you know, just small businesses may not, but I don't know what kind of money they pull in. I don't know how big they are. I think they're pretty big. If I'm just being honest, they have seem to have a lot of people and a lot of carts and multiple locations, but it definitely should have stopped. Like I wish that Nintendo had sent them, which I believe they did send them a cease and desist. And I wish they would have listened to it. I wish they could have said, Hey, let's just change the business model a little bit. You can keep the name and then still have the red carts and then just don't do the costumes maybe like just something. But I also know what it's like to be passionate about your business and to not to not want the big guy to take you out and sometimes it's a, it's a it's a way of defiance you know like i'll stand up to him this time and they did and they lost and it's unfortunate uh they may have made ninety thousand dollars in extra sales though with the mario car attachment so you never know with the mario stuff attached um but it i i don't want to see it go away and i i urge anyone who's even considering a trip to japan first of all go and when you go do these tours this is, it was incredible. It was the most fun I ever had. Um, I'm assuming what they'll probably do next time is they'll have something where like you can wear your own costumes, but they won't provide them. And maybe that's how they'll get around it uh, or something like that. Or they'll set up another shop where it's like, hey, you know, you can get a free costume rental next door. It's not our company. Um, and then if you have a costume from next door, like th there's ways around it, you know. Um, but it, it it is, it is an incredible experience. And I understand Nintendo has to protect their property. So Nintendo's not wrong here. And this isn't an attack on Nintendo. It's more of a gushing of Mario Kart, which was such a fun thing. And 
I really, if we had done it, we did it the last night we were in Tokyo. If we had done it the first or second night, we would have done it again. I, I would have pushed and pushed to do it a second time. Um, yeah, it was like two and a half hours. I got out of the go-kart and my knee was like locked up. It was crazy. Um, but, uh, I got some cool footage too, uh, of it when I was driving and it was just, I don't know. It, it was like, I had the biggest grin on my face doing that. I just remember driving in the, the air, like the temperature was perfect. It wasn't raining. Like the cool air was whipping me in the face. And I just like, I had this big grin on my face and it was just, man, it was one of my favorite things I've ever done. So, it, you know, it is what it is, but, um, it, it was good. It was really, really good. And I hope that, uh, you get to experience it. And I hope that this company who had a really good idea just pushed it a little too far. I, th I hope that they can kind of recoup from this, um, and, and be able to kind of, you know, move on uh, from it. All right. And let's see. So lastly, and this isn't going to take very long, but this, this is a riot. So lastly on the podcast today, I wanted to talk about Jeopardy. <laughs> and so the other night on Jeopardy, um, there was a video games category. So like what we all dream of when we're watching Jeopardy, right? Maybe a category that we will understand and, and know everything about and it didn't go so well for the contestants <laughs> so i have uh, i have video here and uh, i'm just gonna put my headphones in and i want to just kind of play this and i just want to go through it so here we go so this was jeopardy about a week just under a week ago um and this was jeopardy and this was the video game category still in play evelyn Video Games 200. This company's infinity allowed you to play characters from The Incredibles and Cars, to name a few. So obviously the answer to this is Disney. Disney Infinity. Characters from Incredibles and Cars. Anyway. Evelyn? What is Pixar? Nope. Jordan? What is Disney? Disney is right, yes. Less than a minute. Video 4. Morrowind and Skyrim are iterations of this venerable set of games. As we all know, that would be the Elder Scrolls. Jordan, what is Dragon Age? No. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't want to pick on the guy too much because it's not that far off, but he under he knows what Dragon Age is, but he doesn't know what Elder Scrolls is? Okay. All right, buddy. <laughs> what is the Elder Scrolls? Jordan, back to thousand. Make your future fighting Gaul, leader of the Red Legion, in the second iteration of this bungee game. Okay, so right at the end they give it to you. Of this bungee game, the second iteration, clearly it's Destiny. It's Destiny 2. Clearly. Come on. Come on, Jordan. Jordan, what is Halo? No. Oh, Jordan, come on, man. <laughs> the best part is, like, Jordan looks like a dude. Look at this face. That's haunting. But Jordan looks like a dude that would play video games. <laughs> <laughs> what is destiny? Jordan, back to you. 800. In the classic video game Joust, contestants were placed upon these birds. Okay, so in Joust, what birds were they on? Okay, now seriously, everybody should know this. Like, this is a classic video game question, but this is like a piece of history. Like, I don't know how you go on Jeopardy and know all this useless stuff and don't, like, don't come across this in your studies. But I digress. Let's see what happens. Oh, nobody! Nobody even bothered to try. This is about to guarantee the fact that never ever will there be another video game category in Jeopardy. <laughs> the big gaming story of 
2018 is Fortnite. This genre of game where the winner is last shooter or last team standing. All right, very clearly that's the genre Battle Royale. Everybody knows that, right? Everybody, everybody listening knows that. And that is Battle Royale. We're going to take our second break. So these are some of the lowest scores I think I've ever seen in Jeopardy. Just I don't know if it was a tough round or what, but that was a that was a tough round for those folks. But anyway, like I said, it's it's like the category we all long for. And none of these three knew any of it. Oh well. Uh, but like I said, I don't know how soon the next category of video games will be. Clearly, Mr. Trebek was not pleased by the poor performance. <laughs> oh, but man, that's just great. Um, see, you now, so the, the first comment here, this is such a, these are such soft pitch questions that this more constitutes a lack of basic cultural awareness than lack of video game knowledge. Um, yeah, I don't think that's fair, to be honest. <laughs> um, oh, and then we got, I'm drunk and pedantic, so I'm going to argue that because the mountain joust flew, they were in fact ostrich light creatures, not actual ostriches. <laughs> So now we're getting picky. But anyway, so, um, yeah. So, hey, if you ever want to have fun uh, on Jeopardy, um, you know, maybe once, if you're lucky, you'll get the video game category. Like, I, with, with the points that that category was allowing, I would have been able to beat the scores of everybody else there. Like, the top score was 2,200. That was wild. Wild times. Um, all right. Well, hey, everybody, that is it for the podcast today a little bit of a short one but uh i'm, I'm trying to make it work trying to make cut, cut a little close um so i'm looking over my ps1 games here and uh uh-huh uh-huh trying to pick our game of the week uh what should i pick what should i pick what should i pick um i don't know we were talking about the ps1 classic before um i don't know if i ever talked did i ever talk about nightmare on elm street Let's talk about Nightmare on Elm Street. So this game, uh, I just recently put in my collection finally. I finally found a good condition boxed copy on eBay, which is not easy to do. Uh, I've been looking for the better part of a year. Nightmare on Elm Street. So one of the first things you notice is it's a four-player game. It's a four-player game. Not many four-player games in the NES, but this is a four-player game. It is. Uh, it, it has been famous, uh, famously ripped apart by the angry video game nerd. Uh, and much oftentimes, though, like a lot of the games he covers, they're not necessarily bad games. They're just games that have bad things about them, and so he makes fun of them. And that's kind of what his shtick was, and that was why it was funny. Um, so, uh, but it's very good. It's a four-player, like, side-scroller where you actually have to go into different houses, find a different part of Freddy Krueger, and kill it. And then, uh, uh, and then I think you have to, like, put all of his parts together, and then you fight him at the end or something like that. So basically, you have to fight each of his parts individually in the houses, and stuff like that. And then you have, like, you could turn into the Dream Warriors and stuff after a while. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So it's really good, though. It's, it's fun. I mean, it's not it's not great. Like, it's not side-scrolling like Ninja Gaiden, you know, and the jumping's kind of whack. And, like, you fight a bunch of spiders and, and bull crap like that. Like, like people who made games back then didn't know, like, how to do anything original. It was just, hey, it's a spooky game. So here's a spider and your spooky game. Um, but, uh... Yeah, it's fun though. If you if you want, especially a four player game, like I said, there aren't a lot of four player adventure games for the NES. There's like four player sports games and stuff, but this is pretty good. So, thank you as always, everybody, for listening and watching. If you're watching this on on YouTube, if you want, you can subscribe to us in podcast form on 
uh, iTunes. You can just search for Game Talk Radio, or you can go to SoundCloud and uh, SoundCloud.com slash Game Talk Radio. Uh, or if you are listening to this on the podcast and you would like to subscribe to us on YouTube, we broke the 3,000 mark finally. We're so proud and so happy. We're getting close to 3,100 actually. And um, so by the end of the year, we're just trying to push and push and push and see what we can do. Um, and it's been an incredible year for growth. Like we, we really hit a lot of success back in February and March leading into, um, you know, leading into the, uh, the demonetization thing for established channels. So that was really cool to be able to hold on to that. And, uh, and, and so we're just, we're just still grinding away, you know, we're, we're still keeping it up. So, uh, but you can go to YouTube and look for the drop rate. That is our YouTube channel. Um, and if you go to droprate.life, that should redirect you there. If you type in drop rate, just look for the DR logo. It should be gray, yellow, and white. That's us. Um, Jordan's doing some great content on there right now. He's got a whole bunch of these great indie games never heard of. He's doing a bunch of stuff on itch.io. Tons of cool stuff. Uh, Jeremy's been doing some live streams and stuff like that on Saturdays, like uh, like the IRL streams. And, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to be the news guy. So the three of us together are trying to uh, make this whole thing work. But thank you again, as always, for listening and watching. Thank you for the support. It's always fun, always a good time. Take it easy. We will talk to you again soon. Have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>